1: so we discovered in our research that there are basically two elements of self knowledge that make someone self aware and you have to have both of them you can't just focus on one so the first is something we named internal self awareness which means you know it's kind of the traditional sense what what we normally think of with self awareness it's knowing who we are our values our passions our aspirations our personality the other type of self-awareness that you have to have, we call external self-awareness. And what that is, is knowing how other people see you. Very interestingly, at least in my opinion, those two types of self-knowledge, internal self-awareness and external self-awareness, are completely unrelated. And so what that means from a practical standpoint is we have to work on both. How you do, how
2: you do. Day. I am really excited about this episode Because Tasha Urich, Dr. Tasha Urich Is one of my favorite people in the world Her book was one of the books I listed in the top books to read in 2018 And her book is called Insight And we dove into a lot about self-awareness And many of you know that I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book and communicating effectively across cultures in divisive times. But one of the things that I always talk about before we can even figure out how to connect is really understanding how to be self-aware. This impacts how you lead. This impacts how you see yourself and how you realize what you need to grow. It also gives you some insight into your triggers. And I'm always interested from experts like herself to understand her research methodology, but also why she calls it the most important skill to have and cultivate in the 21st century and she delivers beyond anything that I even expected and I had a lot of high expectations because she is the illustrious Dr. Tasha Urich so take notes get ready to be educated and also please take her up on her quiz her quiz is amazing go to her quiz which she provides the link in the the interview but it's also in the show notes buy her book and make sure that you are cultivating this habit of self-awareness All right, check out the episode, and please continue to tag me or whoever I have on as the show guest. We love hearing from you, and we love hearing your thoughts. Okay, go be great. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's... Guest is Dr. Tasha Eurich, and she is an organizational psychologist researcher and a New York Times best-selling author. If you remember correctly, her book Insight made my uh, my top books of 2018, and I kept uh, uh, gushing about how much I I love her tweets and and just how she rapidly became one of my favorite people. Uh, just to follow just from afar. And she built her reputation as a fresh modern voice in the business world by pairing her scientific grounding in human behavior with a pragmatic approach to professional development. Over a 15 plus year career, she's helped thousands all over the world become more self-aware and successful. And in case you didn't uh, get it, we are going to be talking about self-awareness today and how to actually uh, improve your self-awareness in order to become the best leader that you can be in today's world. Welcome to the show, Dr.
1: Thank you so much for having me and your kind words. Ah, uh, the pleasure
2: is mine. The pleasure is mine. Truly, this is uh, this is this is a real honor for me. Um, so I, I know a lot about you from reading, but I'm curious to if you could just uh, peel back the layers a little bit and tell us how you sort of stumbled into this role as a researcher and evolved in self awareness. I mean, you and Brene Brown fascinate me with the topics that you have become thought leaders for. Like for Brene Brown with vulnerability, you with self awareness. These are Things that people would not have defined as careers in in the past. Right. And uh, I'm curious to, to hear your story. I think that I think Christmas is involved with your story. So please let us know.
1: Oh. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so <laughs> I have been an organizational psychologist, um, you know, my entire career, basically. And I, especially when I'm coaching senior executives, so CEOs, you know, heads of major businesses. I have been consistently inspired by the transformations that I I have seen firsthand in my clients from going from, you know, maybe someone who doesn't see themselves clearly, who doesn't have an understanding of uh, how they come across to these insightful, effective, successful leaders. And P.S., the credit goes to them and not me. Uh, I just helped the process. So I I started to become curious, uh, you know, this was maybe about six years now, about what we actually knew scientifically about self-awareness. And to your point, it was Christmas time in the U.S., and so it was, things were a little quieter than normal. I didn't have a lot of clients who needed things. I had some free time. And what does a type A uh, organizational psychologist do in her free time? She reads research. (laughs) So I started to look up, you know, kind of what we knew, and I was astonished at how little sort of meaningful work existed in the science of self-awareness. And so, you know, stupidly and naively, I sort of thought, well, I could do this research. I could learn everything there is to know about (laughs) self-awareness. And so I I pulled a research team together, and we've been working together for several years now on kind of answering some of these key questions about self-awareness. Like, what actually is it? Where does it come from? Why do we need it? And how can we get more of it? And this is specifically with regard to leaders and, you know, entrepreneurs. Uh, the the beauty of this work is it applies to everyone, but I think it has extremely powerful effects in organizational settings. So that's yeah. really kind of the core of our work. But the yeah. the beauty of it is we've learned so many so many areas in our lives that self awareness actually helps us be better.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's incredible because I shared with you before we we started. Uh, Recording, I, you know, a lot of my work is in organizations. You know, I'm I'm brought in to do, I, th- I think, very similar things you do in terms of coaching workshops as well as training to to help build a corporate culture that's inclusive. And a lot of that, uh, you know, the way I start a lot of my um, exercises is to start off internally. Because a lot of times when we sh- we're trying to solve a bigger problem at large, I feel like if we don't know who we are or who we are as an organization and individually, it's going to be very, pretty much set on very shaky foundation. So, I, I that that was something that I picked up in your book. But something else that I picked up in your book is that you had your research background showed this. You, you said your research shows that ninety five percent of people think they know who they are, but you found out that that was only ten to fifteen percent. Pretty scary, right?
1: <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's an that usually i gap. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I know when I, when we start. To, to see these you know, patterns emerge in our data, I was floored. I've got to tell you, I knew we had a self-awareness problem, but I had no idea it was that bad. The joke I make when I'm speaking to groups of leaders is um, that means that on a good day, eighty percent of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. <laughs>
2: you know, it gets even scarier because um, I'm someone who's always thought about, the world in a larger place uh, from a larger picture type of thing. When these people, when all of us become leaders, if we're not as self-aware as we think we are and we, we're not really aware of, of how we're being perceived, when we become you know, someone in, in a position of power, that can be dangerous if you don't have that habit of reflect, reflection. Because you might not be able to understand how to really lead. (laughs) Uh, And there's
1: even more bad news, actually, which is that uh, even if they don't start out as less self-aware, the more responsibility and power you have in an organization, the less self-aware you tend to get. Yes. Um, So, yeah, so it's, you know, I wouldn't use the word crisis, but I would use the word pretty close in terms of the importance of this for leaders and how few actually spend the time and energy to work on this.
2: No and and I this is why I was so excited to have you on and I was excited when we could because I, I sh- you know when I was saying that I grew up in two dictatorships the first 9 years of my life those were things I I don't know why as a kid this is what I thought about I was I'm always I was very uh... <laughs> you were ahead of your time <laughs> Yeah I guess yes I used to talk about this with my dad and mom but I used to study the, the dictators and I, I would wonder because they they're a lot of what they did would be you'd lie you become narciss- narcissistic you think about Like just the stuff you'd hear them say, it's incredible. I'm like, but somehow (laughs) they're in power. And, and I always wonder as we get to year two, year three, year four, it becomes even much more extreme as they, as they grow with the the power dynamics. And in your opinion, before we dive into the self-awareness tactics, what research did you do? Because I, I, as a researcher, I'm always curious about the mechanics behind that and how you found and compiled your results.
1: Sure, so specific to power and leaders and self awareness
2: yeah, to the self awareness that the the ninety five percent people thinking that they know who they are while well, it's actually ten to fifteen percent
1: right, so our research our whole program basically consists of three uh main focus areas, so the one is we surveyed people from all around the world on you know what is self awareness we, we did a lot of studies with uh, organizational settings where we looked at the leader self-awareness we looked at how the team perceived the leader um so that was one two was we reviewed over it's now a thousand empirical uh studies in order to figure out what do we know already and then the third thing we did which i think is the most interesting is that we found 50 people 5-0 who mm. didn't start out as self-aware who became highly self-aware Yes. through hard work, choice, you know, a lot of things we'll talk about today. And those were the most illuminating parts of our program. Uh, they really showed me that we had to challenge a lot of what we thought we knew about self-awareness. And, yeah. you know, the first thing we think we know is, well, surely I'm self-aware. If, if I wasn't self-aware, someone would have told me by now. But again, it, it really is important to separate our perceptions of ourselves uh, from our perceptions, from the way that others perceive us, and, and knowing that sometimes those two things are going to be very different.
2: Yeah. Well, let's talk about how we can improve our self awareness. And, you know, how can we make sure we practice self awareness every day? Because you've described it in your words as the secret ingredient for success in the 21st
1: century. And, and let me expand on that a little bit because I think. I think it's important to understand what that actually means, right? If it's a secret ingredient for success, what are we going to see be different or better? So people who are self-aware professionally, they tend to be better communicators. They're more confident. They perform better at work. They get more promotions. They're highly effective leaders. There's some research that's showing that they actually lead more profitable companies and that more profitable companies are, are uh, you know, staffed by highly self-aware employees. At home, the results are also kind of amazing, I think, is self-awareness helps us be better spouses, better friends. It helps us be better parents who raise more mature children. Um, so all of those things, you know, you sort of wrap it into a bow and you think, what won't I improve in my life if I work on this? So, so the imperative is there. In terms of how to improve our self-awareness, maybe let me quickly define what it is, and then I'll yes. give a tool for each of the two sides of it. So we discovered in our research that there are basically two elements of self-knowledge that make someone self-aware, and you have to have both of them. You can't just focus on one. So the first is something we named internal self-awareness, which means you know, it's kind of the traditional sense, what what we normally think of with self-awareness. It's knowing who we are, our values, our passions, our aspirations, our personality. The other type of self-awareness that you have to have, we call external self-awareness. And what that is, is knowing how other people see you. Very interestingly, at least in my opinion, those two types of self-knowledge internal self-awareness and external self-awareness are completely unrelated. And so what that means from a practical standpoint is we have to work on both. So I'll give you a tool for each. Um, I'll keep it pretty simple and high level. So the first is for your internal self-awareness, the, the, there are two mistakes people make. The first is not reflecting at all. And the second is reflecting too much. Um, it's sort of like a it's, a it's a golden mean that we're looking for. And our research participants, almost every single one of them had some practice where at the end of every day, they would review the day and figure out what they learned that could help them be smarter the next day. So we named those daily check-ins and it takes, it shouldn't take any more than five minutes. If it does, you're overthinking it and you might be in some dangerous territory. But the three questions that we found people generally ask themselves were number one, what went well today? Number two, what didn't go so well today? And then number three, how can I be smarter tomorrow? And what I love about that is it's simple Um, It doesn't take a lot of time. We found, interestingly, that our highly self-aware research participants spent sometimes less time reflecting. They just did it in a smarter, more efficient way. So that's the internal side. On the external side, you know, there's so much we can get into with this about how most people are not telling us the truth about how we're coming across. We're often scared to ask, and so that creates a problem, especially for leaders and organizations. So, what I, a tool that I love that was developed by a communications professor named Josh Meisner, um, we named the Power Lunch of Truth. And essentially what you do is you pick someone where, um, you know, maybe they're a peer, maybe they're a little bit above you in the organization just to make sure there's a comfort level and you take them out to lunch. And during that lunch, you ask them the following question. What do I do as a leader that is most annoying to you? And then you listen, (laughs) you listen non-defensively. There's, there's, you know, a lot that kind of goes into that, but in essence, what you're, what you're being able to do is put yourself in the driver's seat to seek out some of this more constructive feedback. So you can make a choice about how to be more effective. And so you can have the power to know how you're seen.
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and even to, to your point about uh, external self-awareness, I believe you have, um, was it called a uh, dinner of truth or power of lunch truth?
1: Yep. I, so it's funny when I'm, when I'm re- talking about it more generally, I call it the dinner of truth, but mm-hmm. most people in organizations don't choose to have dinners together. They're with their families usually. So that's why mm-hmm. I call it the power lunch of truth. That's like the organizational <laughs> setting. Right. Right. And then, and I think it's,
2: <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. It's you, you take people out and just find out how you, you, you are perceived essentially, you know, um, and you do that without judgment, and I think it's it's such an interesting exercise because I started doing that before I launched my business, and I used to I was I did that with mentors, uh, family, as well as uh, people I've worked with in the past, and I, I just took them out and asked them a series of questions, as I was trying to figure out what my niche was going to be, mm-hmm. but I, I was doing that to figure out what they thought of me in terms of uh, how they perceived me as a leader, and I you know it was it was so uh, interesting reading that in your book because I was like I didn't know that that was such a I didn't know that that could actually work in an organization as well. So that's 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 incredible to see.
1: Yeah, it's great, and it's funny because the first time people hear it, they kind of generally go, all the blood drains out of their face, and they have open mouths, and they can't believe that somebody like me is suggesting that they do it. But I would never suggest something like this that I haven't done multiple right. times myself. And yeah. I've always been surprised at how positive the experience tends to be, mm-hmm. and how it has never, not once. Uh, met my worst fears. In other words, I think we assume that, you know, if I'm going to sit down with a a longtime uh, coworker or a good friend, that they're going to say, you know, I never really liked you in the first place. And (laughs) and I think it's important to acknowledge those fears and to know, you know, and you can take it from me, who's done this as many times as I have, that our worst fears are almost never uh, realized. Well, what did you learn about yourself? Uh, so here's a good example of that. So my, I I decided I was going to do my, my power lunch of truth or my dinner of truth with my friend, Mike, because he tends to be uh, very honest. I knew he would not hold back. And he also is a little crotchety sometimes. And so I thought, (laughs) you know, he's, he's going to give me something really good. I hope it's not really bad, but (laughs) right. So, so I asked him the question and he said, Oh, well, I guess what I would tell you is that I really like you in person but I hate you on social media. That,
2: that's pretty, uh, that's, there's no, you know, in between, between that.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. He was very clear, which I appreciated. So for me, what that did was a couple of things. Number one, he really liked me in person. So that was great. And number two, it gave me a very specific thing that I could choose to work on or not in order to be, to have better relationships. In that case, it was with my friends, right? So I did. And I I really took that to heart. And actually his feedback was what stemmed or what, what sort of precipitated a lot of the research we did on uh, something we call the cult of self, which is how the world we live in every country, every age group is becoming more self-absorbed and less self-aware. And one key way that we, we learn that and we show that is on social media. So I think it it can just give you so much great data that, that we shouldn't fear it. We should really see it as a tool to help us be even better.
2: It's so interesting. Uh, I, When I opened this, this, uh, our, our interview, I said, I love you on social media. And that was the <laughs> stark opposite of what you, what your, uh, your friend did. So obviously it worked. I mean, I guess, but, um, uh, that, that's, it's such an interesting thing. I, 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 I love studying human behavior. It's, it's interesting how we can actually grow. Uh, for anyone listening, it's, I think if you, if you read the book, you're going to find that a lot of people actually improved the, the best leaders, improved the consciously improved their self-awareness as they grew older. So it's not like if you weren't self-aware to this point, you can't improve. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people to think like it's a death sentence that ooh, like, you know, only 10 to 15% of it. So it's, um, yeah, no, it, it's definitely... Uh, something that we, we can improve on. This is going to lead me to a potentially controversial question because I have a lot of people that like these, uh, that like um, astrology <laughs> on my um, on my uh, platform. But what do you think about astrology and Myers Briggs and all this personality test um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, I guess defining people's awareness?
1: Yeah, self-worth? sure. So uh, let me preface this by saying I don't know a lot about astrology, so I, I don't think I know enough to have an informed opinion on how it relates to self-awareness. I do have a, a background in, you know, people like me are the people who create things like the Myers Briggs or the Social Styles or you yeah. know, the DISC. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> we organizational <laughs> psychologists. We sit in a back office somewhere and we create these personality tests, and it's great. Um, but but truly. What we discovered in our research with the people who became highly self-aware is that they they saw these assessments as really key milestones in their own self-awareness journey. So obviously, one single assessment is never going to tell you everything there is to know about yourself it's never going to measure everything you need to measure but i like them um you know there's there's a lot of discussion in my field about how we use those types of tests and my preference is to use them for developmental purposes right so to understand your myers briggs profile or your disc or your emergenetics colors those can all be additive right so what i tell people sometimes if they want to start their self awareness journey specifically you know internal is to go to your hr department and take all of the personality assessments they will let you take uh, and then yep. if you can't if you don't have that accessible at your organization there's so much online there's a you know like a little kind of maybe it's like a pirate myers-briggs test <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of personality.com <laughs> that's it there you go perfect yeah. so yeah i'm very pro all of those things
2: no, it's, so it's interesting. The reason why I asked that question, is because I like, I, like I said, I know my ENFJ, you know, uh, I got my, uh, my twin Barack Obama and uh, my godmother, um, Oprah Winfrey as nice. pers- <laughs> personality types. Uh, but something that I've noticed just because like you, I don't really follow a lot of astrology. I do notice sometimes I live in New York city and, you know, sometimes at social events and I speak often, sometimes people, would say, I would say something and sometimes people say, what's your sign? And then I say Scorpio and then it's met with dread and it's like, oh, no way. Oh <laughs> and then I often wonder about like, cause I'm obviously there's benefit to everything. I often wonder how limiting that can be though, when
1: you've yeah.
2: never known the person. What did you come from? What? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And that's really important. What you're, what you're bringing up my, my good friend and hero, Marshall Goldsmith, who's considered the number one executive coach and leadership thinker in the world Mm -hmm. really emphasizes that he emphasizes it with me, with his, you know, fortune 50 CEOs that he coaches, which is that you should never, ever, ever let something like that box you in or define you. Mm -hmm. I, I once said something to Marshall, like, Oh, well, I can't do that. I'm an introvert. And he looked at me like with this, you know, I can't believe you just said that with all, you know, and all I've taught you. And he said, but what if that's just who you used to be? And I love that idea that when we learn about ourselves, we are learning things as they are now, but we should never take them as fixed and we should never assume that we can't change them if we want to and and there's a you know there's a lot of research on how hardwired some of these personality traits are and, and I buy into a lot of that, but I think that's a really important idea is what if that's just who you used to be
2: mm. and, and to your point I, um i I'm saying this, what if we told ourselves different stories um you know about who we are I think you your your right society sometimes uh, socializes us to accept certain behaviors, but to your point, you know, maybe if I heard that, um, I could always say that's, I mean, I could be a s- smart aleck and say, well, that's very interesting that you you decided to box me into that. Or <laughs> I could say, well, that's maybe a-, a part of me. That's not my full story. And would you like to know more? You know, so the different, yeah, yeah. different ways, yeah, the different ways. Um, and, but the reason I brought that up is because I've noticed, I think part of self-awareness is understanding your triggers. And one of my triggers, um, growing up the way I did, you know, people always try to put me in boxes. I'm, you know, a Nigerian who sounds less like a Nigerian than most people are, but I'm confused as an African-American, but I'm an African living in America. And then I've, you know, it's all this, which is why I did that. But as a kid, you know, when I told you that, you know, skinny Nigerian kid, thick Nigerian accent, French-speaking country. Growing up in in a uh, in an American international school before going back to Nigeria, I went through this pendulum swing of being too Nigerian to not being Nigerian enough when I got back to Nigeria. And I know internally that that is a trigger for me when people would try to put me in boxes that they thought that I fit. And I never fit any box growing up. So I think that that's always my trigger when I hear those when I hear like, oh, you must be this as an astrologer. Right. So that's something that. Self awareness helps, right? You have to understand, okay, why does that really trigger that in you, and then are you the one that's making that uh, a bigger story than it is? So, right. oh, that's why I brought that up. Huh? It's uh, see, this this helps, this helps all the time. Um, how, how do we uh practice this? Uh, um, actually, no, I have another question before that. How can you practice self awareness with self acceptance? Because sometimes people are afraid of getting overly critical that they just imprison themselves. So
1: So that is such an important question. I'm really glad you asked that. Sometimes people ask me when I'm speaking to, you know, large groups, they ask me, is it possible to be too self-aware? And I say, Well, that's interesting. The way I define it, I don't think so, but what do you think? And usually the answer I get is, well, you're too self-aware if you're just constantly focused on all the things that are wrong with you and trying to fix them and thinking about them all the time. And I say, stop, stop, stop. That you're not talking about self-awareness. You're talking about a lack of self acceptance. So, just as important as your self awareness journey is a simultaneous journey in self acceptance. And what we discovered, interestingly, is that people who were highly self aware also tended to be more self accepting. Um, and, and so, you, if you develop those two things in tandem, that's what helps you sort of uh, you know live through it in order to keep your mojo and and keep your confidence, which is to to say to yourself, for example, let's say you have a power lunch of truth and you learn something about yourself that you a don't like and B had never heard before. right? So that's like the most vulnerable I think we can be. It's to say to ourselves, okay, i I accept that this is a perception that this person has of me. I realize that I am in control. I can change it if I want. I can, I can not do anything if I want. And it also doesn't mean that I'm a bad person because I am a um, loyal parent or a loyal friend, or, you know, I have this area of my life that's so important to me besides what I just heard as critical feedback.
0: Um,
1: And and another tool for self-acceptance might be, I read this somewhere in a study, is would I say to someone else I loved and respected what I just said to myself? <laughs> and everyone has this inner voice, right? If you're not good enough and you really messed that up and you should be embarrassed for what you just did. But to say, you know, would I even say those things to somebody that was important to me? And yeah. guess what? We should be important to us enough that we talk to ourselves in a, in a kind and, and compassionate way.
2: You know, that's so key. I, I've, something I've noticed is Especially cross cultural work is a lot of us judge ourselves based on our intentions and we judge others based on their actions. Ooh, yeah. And, and I've often wondered about that, especially in today's world. Like, this is leading to my next question, which is where we're in the very great time where a lot of voices are being heard, and I'm a big champion of that. But I, on the other side, I see a lot of people who are afraid to say what they think because they're afraid of a mob, right? or or something that's going to happen to them, like a tweet could ruin your career or something like that. And so there's this reactive world where we have, where people are simultaneously empowered, as well as seeking, (laughs) seemingly seeking your downfall. And some people wonder about how to practice self-awareness in such a world. What do you say about that?
1: Oh, that's really interesting. I, I think that when it comes to social media or Emails or anything where there's a written record of of what we've communicated, I think we do have to be careful. And you know, sometimes, sometimes rightly, you know, something that someone says ruins their career. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's maybe disproportionate to what they said. And so I, I would even separate that a little bit because I, you know, I don't even see social media as a means to become more self-aware. I think it has other roles in our lives to be connected, to learn things about each other, um, but I don't think it's a tool for self-awareness. So I would, I would encourage people to explore their self-awareness in, in areas of their life, at least initially, that feel safe. So for me, as an example, when when I started getting all the feedback I learned I needed to get from this research, I started with my husband. He's like the safest person in the world to me. I know that he loves me. He respects me. He ch- values me. And so that was a safe environment for me to ask him, you know, what could I do to be better? So I think that's what I would focus on is, is tune out the noise as much as you can and be as careful as you can and really turn to the people that matter to help us with that journey.
2: Yeah. And something I'll add to that is if if you practice self-awareness, especially the way you say it internally and externally, what you're going to find yourself doing before you craft messages is it's, you're going to practice that awareness. I think before in the, in the past, sometimes we think from a, I just, this is just me. I'm just going to react. And I think you're promoting reflectiveness Uh, As opposed to reactiveness a lot of times and that is going to impact how you connect or communicate with someone because you're going to be aware of you learn you already be aware of what the mob might actually say because the mob sometimes is uh, maybe an extreme version of the darker side someone might have said to you if you did the power of, uh, of lunch then you know someone could say. Um, you know, sometimes you appear condescending and then someone that doesn't know you on social media could read a tweet and say, yeah, you are the worst. Right. Person <laughs> right. But so if you understand that you can start to see your communication patterns, how someone else could, could do that, especially if you're in a position of influence. Um, and so I, you know, I, I love your book in that sense is because it actually just challenges, challenges people to do that in not even just the organizational sense, but in, in a, on a personal level. So I think it's very important to think about that. Um, just someone listening might say, okay, wow, well, I love everything that Dr. Yurka said. I want to know how I can, like any actionable tips that I can practice within myself on a daily basis. What would you say?
1: Okay. So we've gone over a couple, um, uh, you know, the power lunch yeah, of truth, yeah, the, power the daily check-in. Um, let me try to think of one more that I think is really helpful. Oh, okay. Here's one. So this is uh, more internal self-awareness, yes. but what I suggest is, and what the research shows really clearly is that. We can get into these introspective patterns that are not good for us and that can make us more depressed, even less self-aware, if you can believe that. One of the first kind of mini studies that we did showed that people who spent lots of time self-reflecting were not only less self-aware, but less happy, more depressed, more anxious. And so it's not that that self-reflection or introspection is wrong. It's just that people make a very common and consistent mistake when they do it. And again, this is probably more than we can go into in this particular conversation. But instead of asking ourselves why, I recommend a better question, which is what? So let me give you an example. Mm. Let's say you um, uh, had a really bad year in, in your business, that maybe you're an entrepreneur. And it would be very tempting to ask yourself, you know, why, why did this happen? And that gets into this very, you know, oh, it's because I'm really not meant for this profession. And maybe this business is a bad idea. And, you know, I'm a terrible leader and you kind of get into this spiral. A better question would be something like, what did I learn from this year that I will never repeat? Or um, what can I do moving forward that will help us avoid those problems in the future? And the difference there, it's subtle, but the difference is why brings us down emotionally what yeah. keeps us level headed why makes us focus on the past on things we can't change what helps us move forward um and so that i think it's a it, people are sometimes astounded at what it what a difference it makes in the way they are reflecting on themselves and and i personally use this tool several times a day um yeah. you know i get into this pattern of like oh well this happened and no not why what
2: what happened? That's 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 such a great shift. I love that. I love that. Uh, for those listening, where can they find your book? I, I want to shift into um, your quiz here, but uh, I oh, sure. A, yeah, I want to give you an insight.
1: So um, I'll just talk about the quiz, and actually the the website where the quiz lives will connect you to everything you ever wanted to know about oh, me or Insight. Perfect. All right. <laughs> but uh, from my perspective, people always say like, what what you know? Where can people learn more about you? And I say, well, that's not the point. They they should want to know more about themselves, right? So. <laughs> If, if they're being a good self-awareness student, so we uh, in in sort of the launch of of the book Insight a couple of years ago, we created this free assessment that we call the Insight Quiz, and it takes less than five minutes to fill out. It's 14 questions. It's a subset of our um, longer 70-item fully validated assessment that no one would want to sit down and take, um, but it's 14 really good questions. So you fill those out for you. You send the survey to someone who knows you well, they fill out those questions for you. And then once their report is uh, in our system, sorry, once the their answers are in our system, we'll send you a report that will tell you kind of a high-level view of where you're at with your internal and external self-awareness, and then it will give you several tools that you can use right away to start to improve. So if wow. people want to find that, it's uh, www.insight-quiz.com.
2: Insight-quiz.com. Www. Got Insight-quiz. And I'll definitely put that in the show notes. That's incredible. So that, that really is practicing what you said, the internal and the external. Uh, on a different, on a different level. And I take a lot of these quizzes, but this is, this is different from, uh, from that because this is actually, you're taking it with someone. Someone's actually giving their notes and you're, you're helping with that.
1: Yeah, so, exactly. And that's, and that's my problem. Well, not a problem, but that's, that's why I feel that some personality assessments are incomplete. It's yeah. really important to learn about ourselves, but it's just as important to know how people see us see this is
2: why i described it as a legend this is what i'm saying this is uh <laughs> this is amazing this is incredible i love that insight uh dash queries.com i'll definitely put that in the show notes what what uh What about when you find yourself working for someone who isn't self-aware and you're in, on the entry level? How do you manipulate that, or I guess that's not the right word, but how do you maneuver around that?
1: Yeah, how do you manage it? I think that's a, a manage, great question. So I recently did a, a quick survey as part of a Harvard Business Review article that I was writing, and we found that 99% of people reported working with at least one unself-aware person, and nearly half half said that they worked with at least four of those people. And they tended to be peers more often than not, but they were also employees. they were bosses, they were clients. And it can be really frustrating that if you work with unself-aware people, it can cut the team's chance of success in half. So the the best advice I have for people is don't waste energy trying to change them. Uh, and there's an asterisk there that if they're your employee, it is literally your job to help them be more self-aware. but but assuming they're someone else, they may or may not be ready to hear it. They may or may not need to hear it from you., uh, you might be not be the right messenger. So uh, there's a lot there in terms of what you can do, but let me give you one tool. Uh, and this is something I discovered myself when I worked for a very unself-aware boss. So, whenever he would say something really mean or you know just uh, that would throw me off kilter i would imagine that instead of real life we were in a sitcom and you know it was a, a comedy show and behind every mean thing he said was a laugh track, (laughs) right? Right. And you sort of think about shows where the mean characters become kind of endearing because there's a laugh track behind the mean things they say. Um, And then it's like, oh, you, you know, and it becomes a completely different experience. So I I recommend using tools like that, that will help you reframe the situation that will help you see that person differently or see your interaction with that person differently rather than trying to potentially waste energy and, and, you know, do something career limiting by trying to change them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm 100%. And I think another thing that self-awareness could happen, uh, could help you uh, gain more clarity around is the type of environments that you need to succeed to be a best self. So if, like to your point, if you're spending a lot of energy trying to change someone, um, you know, it might be in your best interest to find an environment that uh, doesn't, uh, I guess, bring out the shadow side of yourself. Right. So, the, 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 Yeah, there are two elements of that. W- uh, one other thing before I go into some funny questions here. You, I think I, I heard you say this in an interview. You said if, um, if your, I guess, is, what, what are those reports? If your, if your reports, your company reports uh, are a surprise to you, that means your manager is not doing their job. Correctly, Oh, you're not. Yeah. Something like that. Can you, um, (laughs) I'm sure I'm not saying it well, but it was something I was listening to when I was listening to one of the interviews. Um, and you had said that if, you know, those reports come to uh, come as a surprise to you, you know, um, then someone is not doing the job, correct?
1: Yep. So, uh, I, I talk about that in the context of performance reviews Um, and I have a a lot of very strong feelings about performance reviews that are not very positive. Um, but (laughs) in companies that do them, which is most companies, if, if you're a leader and you are sitting down with a direct report to have their, you know, year end performance review or whatever the cycle is, if you tell them anything that's surprising, that is your fault. So what mm. the idea should be, you're exchanging feedback with your direct reports on a regular basis. So instead of becoming, you know, the the only way to learn that, it becomes the period at the end of the sentence. So you, you know, we reviewed this, I gave you this feedback, I've actually seen some really great improvement, I would like to encourage you to continue doing that work, um, but I think you're on the right track, for example. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it, it's really important, especially if you're a leader who wants to be more self-aware. You have to model that you have to model that in everyone you work with by um, not only giving feedback to people but also asking for feedback yourself
2: yeah yeah very very important so once again if you do want to find out more about what what dr Yurik is talking about make sure you grab a book i mean it's already a new york times bestseller so there's no other reason you shouldn't grab the book but um you should also check out her website i'm on her monthly newsletter as well which is very, very insightful. She does is one a month, right? Right. That's, uh, if I'm correct.
1: Yep, a One month. a month, no spam ever. It has a little bit of a cult like following. So maybe we can get your listeners that link if they want to join our awesome community.
2: Yeah. 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 And it's, it's a real, it's a real, uh, uh, insight into our lives and also make sure you follow her on Twitter. But as we wrap up here, uh, you, um, have some interesting things. Why is great Gatsby your favorite book?
1: Oh, I just think Fitzgerald is the most beautiful writer. Um, and I think he is able to talk about things that are very difficult to understand, you know, like loneliness and belonging and social status and all the kind of shadow sides about humans, but all the, the, the deeply human needs that are behind those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it's, I, I was listening to you and you were, I guess you, you were enthralled with him and it was, uh, it's interesting seeing that because I think with your book, you're doing, I don't know if you got some influences subconsciously from him, but that's exactly what I felt when I was reading your book. Um, because it, you hear a lot about self awareness, but your book is, is a thick book about self awareness and it has a lot of depth and layers and it causes you to really think about things from a different perspective.
1: Oh, so, thank you so much. That's a nice compliment.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, and I'm obsessed with comic books. Wonder Woman's my second favorite after Superman. Wonder Woman is someone you're a big fan of.
1: Why? Oh man, well, for the the female listeners uh, in in your for your podcast, I think they probably, if they've seen this movie, had a very similar experience. Um, that when the movie came out with Gal Gadot, who I think is amazing, yes, the, you know, the first five minutes have uh, a fight scene, and it's all women in this fight scene, mm-hmm. and I was I was actually so overcome that I just started crying and I was like wow what's this about (laughs) yeah and I think we're it's just it's time for women to um have a voice and to you know be in movies that are centered around women that aren't just romantic comedies and um I I just thought it was a really really important movie
2: I love it no and I will say I, I, I thought that way with Wonder Woman, Black Panther, and Crazy Rich Asians, and I saw each of them at least four times in the cinema. Oh,
1: all those but, movies are amazing.
2: Yeah, but it speaks to your point in the power of representation and and I, you know obviously this is this is in line where I work, but this is where I, I always see the marriage of your work and my work is. There's a lot of. Um, there's a there's the sense where people don't feel like they belong sometimes, and that impacts how they see themselves. <laughs> and uh, what I realized I was reacting to is I was watching on the screen, and I had moments, especially with Black Panther, where um, I, I just found myself tearing up for, for some weird reason. <laughs> it, it was not even like a, a scene that needed anyone to cry. I was just yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just I was I was filled with such pride. You know, I was in my in my uh, my garb, my Nigerian garb. And I was like, wow, they're actually doing, even though some of the accents were horrible, but they were doing um, the accents that, and and they weren't making fun of them. I used to get made fun of for a lot of things, and I was just, it was just bringing up all these things in me, and it was just interesting. Crazy Rich Asians and Wonder Woman, same sort of thing, representation and and how you see yourself. So, uh, it's yeah, it's interesting hearing you say that because I do think that does, that's to your point of how we get socialized sometimes, but. Uh,
1: yeah. And, and, and in seeing ourselves, um, you know, represented in those places, we feel more seen. And it's yes. it's powerful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. The last question is, apparently I live in
1: the city you want to live in. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> New York City. What, what 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 happened? What happened? What's wrong with Denver? Is Denver oh, cool?
1: Oh, or... <laughs> Denver is delightful. It's so funny. I um I was born and raised in Denver. Uh, lived here most of my life except for uh, when I went to college on the East Coast. And I spent uh, a lot of time actually in New York City. And it always felt you know like people talk about their spirit animals. It's yeah. my spirit city. It's where I feel most at home. Same. And in an almost like comical turn of fate, I have literally been on my way to moving there several times and something has stopped me. So, you know, the first time I I was going to move there for grad school and then I I didn't like the program that, that I was uh, accepted into. And then at the end of grad school, I was, I was going to move there and I got offered my dream job in Colorado. Uh, and then I was going to go and I met my husband who lives in Colorado. So I think the universe is telling me to stay put. But New York is, is definitely my home away from home. And, and I just love it whenever I'm there.
2: Well, no, I, you know, I, you never know. I, I think there'll, there'll be an opportunity for you and your family eventually soon. So this is, this is, uh, this is incredible. So I, um, I always end my interviews with this question. Um, the, it's my mission statement. And the reason I do what I do, uh, is to bring people across different divides and help them connect across cultures. And my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So my question for you, Dr. Eric is how do you use your difference to make a difference?
1: Oh, wow. I don't think I have a profound answer for that question. I think um, this might be a little counterintuitive, but I try to listen more than I talk. Um, And especially with a lot of the social movements that have been happening in the last couple of years, I think um, any thinking person has come to grips with the fact that um, we're not listening as much as we should. And so, from my perspective, I think that as much as I can learn um, uh, about people who are different from me, it it helps make the world better. Um I, I don't know exactly how to use that knowledge yet, and I don't know if that is what matters. I think you know eventually something will happen. but I, I just think it's so important for all of us to listen.
2: No, I think your listening lets you a very insightful book, huh? Ah, uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm corny. Um, but, but uh, no, I, 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 definitely think that and that's a good answer. And I think, um, yeah, it's like the self awareness. There's never, there's no right or wrong answer. I, I just think it's, uh, it's interesting how you remind us to, to reflect. So I want to thank you for that. And thank you for spending uh, time with us. I know you're a very, very busy, busy lady. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and you just sharing your insights into your world and why this is, like you said, uh, the most important skill that we should uh, cultivate in today's world. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Pleasure is mine. And ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make a difference.
0: You've just been listening to
2: the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to com.